the Western team tend to really good in defining user value, but they tend to lack the kind of understanding on the dynamic on the execution part. Meaning that how do you okay your your innovation is good, but when you, when you when you put your innovation in China's contest, how do your team figure out the right way to close the loop to build a business case under the Chinese contest? Right when you look at China as the market. Welcome to China Biz Connect, the podcast that explores the fast-changing landscape of business-to-business sales and marketing in China, with your hosts Tim Lindemann and Michael Bragan. Today, I will be interviewing Chance Jiang, founder and chief customer officer at Chaytech, an Internet of Things software developer based in Guangzhou, China. I have known Chance since 2002 when I first moved to Guangzhou. Chance was one of my mentors who helped me understand the technology landscape in China, and we're really excited to have him on the show. Chance, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and Chaytech? Thank you,、uh, Tim. It's a really honor to speak here. I've been a、uh, serial entrepreneur after I quit my university job from South China University of Technology, starting like almost ten years ago, and. I've been focusing on Internet of Things all the way from、um, building startups, and also I built a few startups and have exit one some successful, some not so successful. And this particular focus has been my thing ever since. Yeah, that's great. So, can you tell us a little bit about your current company, Chaytech? Yeah, Chaytech. We focus on we have a, a one-liner telling what、uh, Chaytech is all about. We、uh, help integrate machine and service.、Uh, basically, what it means is that、uh, nowadays all the connected machines they need some kind of software to be able to be part of a service. So the model is we making machine part of a service.、Uh, by that, it's it's a pretty broad、uh, focus, but in reality, it actually help us to focus on the core competency of our solution design and as well as our development. Right. And maybe you could provide a little bit of an example of how you guys have worked on the software that connects things to the internet. Yeah, I think the story can be dated back to as early as two thousand nine, where I had my first stop. It's called、uh, Fei Yin. The first stop, actually, we、uh, have this vision that for a simple receipt printer, when by putting a GPIS module into the printer, and also、uh, couple that with a cloud API. That opens up a new way of using a receipt printer. So this particular case is also my first experience on how and and why Internet of Things are going to capture more value and also provide value to the industry. And that particular case turned out to be not so successful financially, but it paved the way for、uh, another startup that I built between 2012 and 2014. It's called Vlomo. Which was、uh, promoted as the first connected device on WeChat, meaning that WeChat, by the time we created that product, WeChat desperately need a case to show the world that okay, WeChat is all about connecting things, not just about connecting people, but also it's a gigantic platform of connecting everything, from people to people to machine, people to service. So it was also quite an interesting journey, both for my staff and also for myself.、Uh, the company is right now is still operational, 
we have our success and also some missed opportunities, I shall say. And it was quite a journey by itself. And yeah, I'm happy to dive in more, you know. Yeah, that's an amazing accomplishment, actually, to create the first connected device on WeChat. Yes, it was. Yeah. Okay. Well, let me ask you, why did you choose to develop your businesses in the Internet of Things space? Uh, I would say it would personally means that, uh, as we know, you know, because I, I also learned quite a few from you because you have a passion for computing as, you know, when we first met and you played around with all this, you know, Apple, you know, back then I was still playing around with the Windows system. I play with uh, Windows and Linux back then, but not so about Mac. But later on, I found out, okay, that when I quit the university job and try to build startups, I found that people of my age, we, uh, I, I didn't have much advantages over how to do stop in China as compared with people born in the 80s or 90s. Uh, they call the internet stops. So I guess it probably just makes sense for people of my age to just focus on something that can leverage the best of all I have, including my academia uh, connections and also my insights. I game over the years by doing Linux or cloud system administration. And I focus myself on product management and also take a little bit of opportunity on learning how to be the co-founder. So it, it has been a passion that uh, stuck with me. And the Internet of Things, for me, the year that we built the first connected product for uh, WeChat, it seemed to be the right time for consumer-facing connected product. It's a starting year, 2012. And after that, WeChat actually grew itself into the big platform for connected products. And now you can see a lot of these machines, vending machines, coffee machines, everything, you know, you want to have really fast and direct user access to whatever machine. It's been a, they call them a, a trademark uh, design pattern to putting a QR code on something and then you scan that QR code with WeChat and then boom, you get started, right? And yeah. user, you know, that's something that may be pretty unique to Chinese users. And by that, I also feel a little bit proud because that's also, it's a contribution of our Chinese engineers and people. It's an application level contribution from the Chinese tech community to the world so that people learn from us. And hopefully, you know, it's, it's something that the entire world will come to appreciate. It's the opportunity that you never have with the sheer number of population and users. These very ideas of say, okay, I want to build something in China. And in the West, the, the innovators and entrepreneurs, they, they tend to think, okay, maybe my stuff is too niche, right? When you talk about China, the sheer number of users, potential users, okay, you, are, you, you should be relaxed because whenever you, <laughs> when you think you, your, your gig is, is so focused and niche, uh, when you put that on at the scale of Chinese population, it's not niche at all, you know, we, we talk right. about Millions of potential users. So for our, you know, photo, because Vlomo is basically the photo vending machine, right? It's the fattest way to scan a QR, get your photo instantly printed from your phone. You know, uh, you know, a minute later, you can get a printed photo, high quality photo at, at your hand. It's a paper photo, right? Uh, so that's uh, something amazing, you know, when you combine the, the modern day, you know, uh, gadget together with some artistic expression, you know, and, and that, that means something, right? <laughs> Right. That's great stuff. 
And I think that a lot of our listeners probably may not have a sense for how mobile devices interact with physical things in China. I mean, it's really amazing. You, you mentioned the vending machines and the coffee machines. What is one of the most interesting applications of IoT technology that you have seen in the China market? Uh, obviously, I, I would tell him my, my, my own invention, the, the photo printing machine, but also have other like game console uh, you, you saw on the, on the street. Uh, typically, when you see them in a game, some gaming sites, right? People just use coins, right? But now they are running not just coin, but also uh, WeChat Pay, right? It's the uh, payment system that integrated into literally everything when you connect the machine to the internet. So that very design opened up to lots and lots of possibilities. It's a capability, right? But it can be also be used for evil purposes, depending on how bad or good the designer or the company are, you know, in terms of designing this kind of value, uh, their own value system into, into the machine, right? Because I know that by innovating on the edges of the technology, we also have tremendous opportunity to build good stuff and also bad stuff. You know, when, when we listening to the news today, you know, the, the, the accusation over Huawei's conduct on their products, you know, we, we Chinese engineers also, because I'm, I'm not a big fan of Huawei, but I'm also uh, very much into trying to have a fair playground together with the, the engineer from the rest of the world, including the U.S., so that's something that I personally believe in, that we should work with the rest of the world, sticking to the same value system, so that we can say, okay, we, that's the trust in human, in the designer. Actually, that's the source of everything else, including the, the gadgets they build, right? Well, can you tell us a little bit more about the technologies that are actually involved to make Internet of Things work in China? You mentioned the QR code, which I think is an important part, but what are some of the other pieces that make these technologies work? Uh, I see Internet of Things being driven by a lot of forces, consumer forces uh, being the, the biggest force, and also we also tend to see innovations, uh, the model of innovation that advocated by a company like Xiaomi. For example, uh, once I sit up with a, on a fireside track with the co-founder of Xiaomi, KK Wong, he said, you know, um, just look at the um, price of a communication chip, right? It used to be like $20 and now you have, a, we talk about a few dollars or so less than a dollar, right? So the dropping of this communication chip by itself is an indicator of what are the possibilities of connected, you know, more and more stuff onto whatever services, right? So communicate the chips that connect to stuff is a, also the big thing, but it's not obvious to regular consumers. But uh, in the industry, we see that as a indicator for more innovation, right? So right now we have a lot of these good examples in China too. There is a uh, you know, Wi-Fi communication chip company called Expressive. It's funded by Alibaba, but now it's a, it's a world-famous chipset brand. It's called ESP32. ESP32 is a prime example of innovative being grow big in China, but it's a key category for IoT growth. So that also tells something about the potential of capturing these value from, we call them the chip level innovation. And because I came from an application category of innovation on IoT, but when we look at the tech stack, all the way from application to the middleware to the chip layer, you know, uh, there are a lot of areas that have uh, tremendous opportunities. 
And also I look at some, we call them the solution provider, because I, uh, over the years, I looked at a few quite successful, you know, startups, and now they're growing to pretty valuable company right now. They are focused on solution. Because solution provider right now is probably the, the kind of IoT company that captured the, the largest value for IoT-related projects. Uh, also, I'm lucky enough to have this kind of quote from uh, KK Wong also, you know, Xiaomi founder. He said, the innovation from the integrator tend to grab the, the most value initially. Because before IoT, there are a lot of things that are not connected, right? So over the years, like when we look at the future, like in a 10 years time, we as the human race around the world, we have lots and lots of world to connect stuff, right? So instead of looking at, you know, the sci-fi, you know, future of all these autonomous robots, all this stuff, from a practical point of view, you look at what are the words that need to be done, right? So you need to have this first category of wealth creation out of IoT from connected stuff. So that's why I, I always argue that integration solution company, they are really the, the first wave of wealth creation from IoT. So just to let our listeners understand a little more about what the tech stack is made up of, we've talked a little bit about the mobile device, we've talked about the chipsets, and we've talked about the services that are built around these technologies. Can you just give us a very brief, high-level overview of what the technology stack includes? IoT is, uh, when you look into the individual component of given IoT product, it actually uh, is built on top of the existing technology all the way from the early days, right? All the way to, to nowadays. It's just a, we call them a, a combinatorial innovation. Okay, it's not hard science. It's a combinatorial way of looking at how you mix and match technologies and products. And in my domain of expertise, we tend to look at a problem first, and then we come up with the user value proposition. And then we look for the business case, why we should build that. And then thirdly, the third question is, how do we build it? You know, that's the engineering part. So we, it's a typical pattern of thinking on whatever you do, right? So from user value to business loop, we call them the business case, and then all the way to engineering process. So whenever you have some problem that you found on the engineering side can be solved by revisiting your goals from the business side and also from the user value side. So it's a really interesting way to look at it. And because that's also probably the perspective that the non-technical audience can appreciate the most instead of just diving down to this tech stack, right? The Internet of Things tech stack, it's just like, okay, we have the cloud layer, the app layer, and electric middleware, some kind of middleware, and then you have this chip. Sometimes they are all in one. They just put in the really small devices, and then it's already have the capability of talking to the cloud, right? You had a cloud server somewhere. And then, you know, technically, uh, the stack is it's there uh, because all these stacks are evolving and the cost of acquiring and maintaining this tech stack just keep going down, you know. It's, it's a Moore's law, right? That's the driving force from a technical side, the supply side. But the demand side is always the society's problems, uh, the challenges that are facing us as a human race. And then, of course, on this particular area, we also have really, really tough questions and challenges from the political side, you know, the international politics, in terms of who build the next generation of something, right? <laughs> Huawei 5G is one prime example, right? <laughs> and then because 5G and also this high-speed connection also means a lot of possibility too, that opens the door to a lot of challenges and also 
commercial benefits. And high-speed connectivity also changed the way we upgrade whatever firmware or the devices, right? Because it uh, used to be the case that a device firmware, after you release that, the version of the firmware remain there, right, for, for years. It don't change. But with high-speed connectivity, it also means that these software that are running inside on the ground, inside the devices, can change. Maybe just even in an extreme case, um, you know, dozens of times in a day, right? <laughs> so it's a highly volatile text that future we talk about. Jargons in this area, somebody called it the fog computing, it's the edge computing, you know, something like that. But for us, in our eyes, we just look at just a few key concepts and that's it. The rest of those concepts are derivative concepts that maybe for the public to consume. But for us, for my small team, essentially what our tech capability is focused on the layer that connected the cloud and the chip and also the firmware. So that's basically that. <laughs> yeah, that's a great overview. I think that's going to be really helpful for our listeners. And when you talk about the requirements and the needs of society and how these technical solutions can solve those needs, I'm thinking that this really gives an advantage to the Chinese vendors in the space because the challenges that China faces are very different, for example, from the challenges that we face here in the United States. And then, therefore, the solutions that you build to address these problems are also different. And your example of the photo printing device that's connected, that makes a lot of sense if you're out and about and your photos are on your phone and you have devices everywhere. But for example, in the United States, we don't nearly have as dense of an urban population. And it's really easy to place your order on the internet and then go to a drugstore and pick it up. And that's typically how we do it here. You either go to CVS or Walgreens or Costco and you pick up your photos. But in China, you capitalize on the fact that people are out walking around in subway stations and in malls, and they're constantly on the go, and they can pick it up anywhere. So I think that's an example of a different opportunity that's there in China. So what do you think about that? Do you think that the Chinese Internet of Things firms have an advantage because of these different requirements? Or do you think that there are still opportunities for foreign vendors in this market? I think the Chinese market always have the right size of pie for non-Chinese innovators. It's probably the most valuable challenge or question that I have so far. And over the years, one key question over and over again, when I talk to expats, you know, the non-Chinese innovator, entrepreneur, tech startup, they approach me and I always push, no matter how many topics we cover, at the end of the day, it's all about, okay, what's the opportunity there for you? You know, you are, you are not from China. You, you have some way to go to build your affinity with the Chinese culture and then also get yourself familiar with what's happening on the ground, right? And yes, so that's something I find. There are a few uh, questions that you can ask. Firstly, I think it's about the Chinese education generated a lot of these engineers and technical people that are not good in thinking about defining human needs. I'm not devaluing my peers, but it seems to me that the Western educated innovators or entrepreneurs, on average, they tend to do better than the Chinese one in defining user value. That's my personal conclusion, or maybe it has, I'm not saying that it's 100%, but it has some statistical significance. 
Secondly, the Western team tend to really good in defining user value, but they tend to lack the kind of understanding on the dynamic on the execution part. Meaning that how do you okay your your innovation is good, but when when you when you put your innovation in China's context, how do your team figure out the right way to close the loop to build a business case under the Chinese context? Right when you look at China as the market and. The same question also go another way, right? When you build something for China, that does that also means that your product can also be、uh, universally, you know, apply somewhere else, right? It's, it's a challenges that go both way, right? Some product that are good in China, that are popular and valuable in China, doesn't mean that they can valuable. You know, you, you can't do it the same way in in other part of the world. Yeah, that's a great point. And if I were to take what I think you are saying here. You're providing a couple of points, and that is for forum firms that are providing IoT solutions. It would be good to first of all get an understanding of the Chinese consumers or the Chinese businesses that they're targeting to understand the behavior and understand the needs, and then to use their strengths in creating solutions to solve the needs. That might be a competitive advantage against the Chinese vendors. And that these solutions should also be considered in relation to the needs around the world, because although the needs in China might be different, for example, from the needs in the United States, they might also be very similar to the needs in other countries in Asia or other urban spaces. So, being a multinational company might give you that advantage, where you can understand the needs of many countries around the world and bring best practices to different markets. So, is that right?、Uh, yeah, I totally agree with your point. And also, the the first question you ask is about how do non Chinese innovator entrepreneur profit from doing a product in China and for China. But on the other side. For Chinese maker, Chinese entrepreneur who want to get out of China or just decide and build stuff for the world, right? It's even a bigger challenges because along this direction, I've been seeing a huge, huge drive from Chinese side, from the Chinese maker, entrepreneur,、uh, factories. They try to break out of the traditional thinking, just build for China. Some product they even think, okay, my product from day one, I, I decide for a specific non-Chinese market. Increasingly, I see. Lots and lots of those、uh, example, particularly in the small to medium sized tech startups here, and maybe the the earliest example I saw is this、uh, a company called Three G CN because they build ten years ago when Android system just first came out, they build the most popular Android phone themes. Three G CN was the number one Android theme maker. It's based in Guangzhou,、uh, the same city that I'm working living and. So it's an example, but there are more examples、uh, on the way. I I truly believe it's all about how we tap into these kind of differences because the tech scene in China、uh, also may seem like a bit of black box to the rest of the world, right? And the dynamics is really unclear to the outside world. But because I'm I was born in the seventies, and、uh, my personal experience tell me that the entire information technology patterns and they we actually also have share similar pattern. Like the U.S., the early generation of Chinese IT professional, they all came from the military tech regime. I have some of my former colleague in the university R&D computer science. They were all educated in military at universities, so it's a big sources. And also, we have a big tech regime from the Chinese military tech regime. 
and we have communication industry, uh, you know, equipment industry that, that are really big in Chengdu in this uh, western, southwestern China, where you have Mr. Ren, the, the CEO of Huawei, you know, he, he came from there. We have a lot of these military institutions. But particularly over the past 20 years, we see more and more talents that are graduated by private enterprises, particularly the BAT, you know, enterprises, right? So increasingly, we have more private entrepreneurs and then they build big enterprises and they, they, they graduated a lot of these tech talents. And now we probably very soon, we, we are no big difference than the U.S. Well, this is the second time that you've talked about yourself as if you were old, I think. <laughs> I, I was born in the 70s, too. But in China, I guess there are a lot of entrepreneurs who were born in the 80s or 90s who are now taking the lead, huh? Uh, well, that's interesting because I look at these two generations. It's easier for them to focus on the consumer uh, startup and enterprises. But for people of my age, that's why I choose the B2B model for all of my career on tech, because it's vertical. It, it demands really big accumulation of expertise, you know, connections, uh, relationships in the industry. So that's just pick your, <laughs> pick your game, you know, just like everybody else. Yeah, I think that's really smart. You talked about the opportunities for foreign tech vendors in the Internet of Things market in China. And I'm wondering if you can think of a couple of examples of foreign tech companies that you've seen. And, and maybe they're not providing solutions, but maybe their technologies are used as building blocks for solutions. But which foreign technologies do you think have done relatively well in the market? The fundamental technology, the chip level, uh, operating system level, the core technology level, I think these companies, I, I don't have the statistic at hand. I'm not sure whether they're doing well financially here and here, but I, I really admire the U.S. tech uh, company who have their fundamental technology that's supporting the entire IoT uh, landscape. We have everything attributable to our Western counterparts from operating system to chips to a lot of these basic stuff, right? Including uh, recently, because my team is small, we are going all in using a company called Canonical, their tech stack on everything we do from the cloud to the IoT part. We, we feel that they're really great uh, Western culture inspired tech company who build all this good stuff. So that's how I see it. But from a financial side, I would say as the political thing is ongoing right now, I would envision that maybe it makes sense again for a lot of these core tech companies to rethink and to reconsider their China strategy again, because I'm pretty sure many of them have been turned down and be disappointed by the Chinese government's policy over all these core tech. They, they're really hard, you know, you, you don't need to know that from me, you know, to just look at what the U.S. government has been complaining on the media right now, right? But I see the, a tremendous value from that part because I personally expect a lot of these core tech companies have more stake in China domestically. And also, ho hopefully, by finding the right Chinese partner on the ground, they can also benefit from the growth and, and the huge population and the uses of their technology in China. And from us Chinese tech makers, we also like to see more cases uh, like you know, from the licensing deals, right? Unfortunately, I, I can't name, I, I don't have the stack to tell you who, who is doing the best in the I, IoT landscape. But the obvious ones that are the ones that maybe the brands are Chinese, but thanks to all these Western innovation, the core technology originated from the West. Those are the, the fundamental stuff that we build our application on, right? So it's, it's all about how do we look at the, the, the value of these core 
we call them the original innovative uh, of technology. And just to confirm, you are talking about canonical, which is spelled C-A-N-O-N-I-C-A-L? Yeah, yeah. It's headquarters in South Africa. The founder's name is Mark Shuttleworth. Okay. And uh, their, their system is called Ubuntu. Ubuntu server, Ubuntu everything. So that, that's their main product line. But they build a lot of these cloud, IoT, tech stack, and, and also they repackage a lot of these technology that I personally believe that are going to be very useful for IoT uh, landscape, and particularly for 5G. Because a lot of this firmware in the high-speed connection well, the f- how do we roll out firmware upgrade, all this stuff? I really love their technologies. Well, thank you so much, Chance, for sharing these great insights. And I always enjoy talking to you and just getting back in touch after such a long time and seeing how much of an expert you are in this space. There's a lot more that I'd like to talk with you about in the future, but I think this is a great beginning. So I'm wondering for our listeners, what is a good way for them to follow what you are doing or get in touch with you to learn more about what you offer? We, we are a small firm. We, we don't do regular update to our website, but you still can check out my, our website. It's called chattech.co, C-O, yeah, dot C-O, the, the website for my small team. And I'm, personally, I'm also available for consultant work and hopefully with, with partnership like you. So, but I would rather focus on the tech solution side rather than on the business side. <laughs> so I can also be reached by email because I'm probably one of the few Chinese who care about email. <laughs> because also the way to distinguish, you are my guy, you know, to use email. And when you see some Chinese engineer who also use email regularly, that means that you're the same kind of guy. It means that they were born in the 70s. Oh, not necessarily. <laughs> yeah, there are some very young and well-disciplined, you know, Chinese tech guys who are also used to the, the adequate of using email and avoiding the IAM because their time is so pressure, you know, their mind is so structured in a way you know, <laughs> that it's the flow, right? It's the flow for every, uh, how do they orient their mind to, to create stuff? Also, you're active on LinkedIn, aren't you? Yes, I kind of try to make LinkedIn profile just like a lock of my career growth. On my LinkedIn page, you can see my history all the way dating back to my university job all the way here. <laughs> some successful stuff, some not so successful, some short-term engagement with certain company organizations. But all in all, I, from my LinkedIn, you can see my taste. Because I, I never go back to the state system because I quit a Chinese government-funded organization since, uh, you know, about the year 2007. And I never come back <laughs> ever since. All right. So if you want to get in touch with Chance, then you can email him, you can go to the website, or you can find him on LinkedIn. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you, Tim. I really enjoyed being reconnected and also look for more topics that I can spend time discussing you here yeah and thank everyone for listening music for the podcast is performed by the chinese experimental rock band chui wan we would love to hear your feedback ideas or any questions you might have feel free to reach out to us in any way you feel comfortable connect with us on linkedin or follow us on twitter Also, visit our website, chinabizconnect.com, where you can view show notes and sign up for our newsletter. Please subscribe to China Biz Connect on iTunes or your favorite place to get podcasts. 
If you enjoyed the show, give us a positive rating. And thanks again for listening. We'll talk with you again soon.